Yeah, okay. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa al-aqibatu al-muntaqeen, wa la udwana illa ala al-zalimeen, wa salawatu allahi wa salamuhu wa la ashraf al-anbiya'i wa al-mursaleen, sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'alta sahla, wa anta tajulul hazna idha shi'la sahla, Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrik, wa husna ibadatik, ya rabbil kareem, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So it's great to be with you guys again, mashallah tabarakallah, it's always nice to be back in al-Huda. And uh, Alhamdulillah, obviously this is a working day and it's great to see so many folks here and during the working day turn up with Fadlillah Ta'ala. It's also a, a double bonus for us that uh, Dr. Idris is here, MashaAllah. I thought that he was going to be in Islamabad, but MashaAllah. Um, just Alhamdulillah, Barakah. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Right, so today's session, right, is um, we are in a chapter of Salah to catch up with those who have not been following it online or have been uh, following the notes. But basically we are in the section of the prayer moving from one rukan to another. The rukan that we've just completed is the standing after ruku'ah and what we have just done last week is the rukan of going to the floor for sajda. And what we basically, and to read out the actual um, the text, Imam Al-Hajjawi alayhi rahmatullah, he says, ثم يرفع رأسه ويديه قائلا إماما ومنفرد سمي الله لمن حمده وبعد قيامهما ربنا ولك الحمد بالأسماء ومن الأرض 
So, the translation of everything that I just said is that he stands up straight whilst raising his hands with the Imam and the one praying alone saying the following, which translates as Allah responds to whoever praises him. Allah responds to whoever praises him. And then when standing up straight, they say, meaning the Imam and the Munfarid, our Lord, to you is all praise of that which fills the heaven, which fills the earth, and which fills everything that you wish beyond that. And then the follower, the follower on the other hand, the one who is praying in a jama'ah, okay, uh, following the imam, like just, just like we were in Asr right now, the rest of us, after the rising, he doesn't say He says the follower after rising only says Rabbana wa lakal hamd Am I a Lord or our Lord And unto you is the praise And unto you is praise Then whilst uttering the takbir Whilst saying Allahu Akbar He falls to the floor in prostration Onto seven limbs His two feet Then his two hands Then his two feet Then his two knees Then his two hands And then his forehead whilst including the nose this can be onto any surface or covering other than the seven limbs themselves. He lifts his upper arms away from his sides and lifts his stomach up away from his thighs or whilst keeping his knees apart, he then says, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. So that's what we're going to be trying to make some uh, headway into today. What we basically finished last week was this part where he falls to the floor in prostration onto seven limbs. And not just only does he fall onto the floor in prostration with seven limbs, but in a certain order. His two feet, then his two knees, then his two hands, and then the forehead with the nose. And this part we spoke about last week, because and you, you would, for those who were watching and seeing, uh, we played the video, right? When I went to Aqsa recently, uh, we were, uh, we went to, where was it, Jericho, yeah. We went to Jericho, Ariha it's called, okay, and Ariha in our, in Islamic culture, uh, well, not Islamic culture, but in our, in our culture, human culture, I should say, because obviously it has been inhabited by Jews and Christians way before Muslims were, okay, um, or Semitic folks, yeah, before Arabs were, if you like. Um, these... Uh, areas are very ancient areas and Ariha is one of the most ancient cities in the world and continuous inhabitation I believe 5,000, 10,000 years, something silly anyway, I mean like, you know, donkey's years, but continuous inhabitation. You know when they, when they measure the, the, the depth, the, the, the age of a city, it's not about what used to exist because I'm sure they'll find many archaeological digs where cities or people were living, you know, many, many years ago, hundreds, thousands maybe even, who knows. But when they say a city in terms of the oldest city in the world, they mean continuous inhabitation, where it's going to continually be inhabited and used in a meaningful way until now. And Jericho, Ariha, in Palestine, is one of those uh, areas. And uh, obviously to get there is very difficult. It, you know, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces are all over the place and giving everyone a headache. But, uh, you know, we know about that. But uh, um, there, we went to visit a place 
not far from what's known as the Mount of Temptation. And obviously, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, phrases and, and, and names they give to different kind of places which are as, as baseless as many of the Islamic places that we create up. And it's a human thing, isn't it, right? Everybody wants to know that this is our heritage and our culture in this particular place and it's very important for us to go. And, you know, I'll tell you something, actually. Uh, the one thing, I'm glad. I'm glad that we did it like that. I'm glad that we did it like that, uh, you know, using... Um, in this last trip to Aqsa, it was myself and Yasser, and we used a number of guides that were, you know, way out. They took us to, uh, like, a palace in Arih. Uh, where on earth was that? Um, I can't even remember where that was. One of the Umayyad palaces, and we went to a lot of the, kind of, the previous uh, places where they consider stations of Isa, salam, yani from, a, from the journey of Bethlehem, Bethlehem, and Nazareth, and all these kind of uh, places, and this is the maqam of Musa, and this is the this, and this is that. And obviously we know from a Shari'a point of view, whilst we're with the guides, that this has very, you know, little evidence and little value, right? But, you know, Muslims like Christians, they love, yani, a little story, they love a little bit of physical touching, yani, they like, yani, to kind of feel that we're in some kind of religious zone, and, you know, someone was here, someone was there. And then what really upset me is we went to Khalil, Khalil is uh, Hebron, okay? And Hebron is called Khalil because this is where it is understood that Ibrahim salam is buried along with Hajar, along with Sarah. You know, all the, they're all buried there. And they've even got graves and they've got a, a masjid there basically. And in the masjid itself, they have what they call maqamat, maqam. A maqam is effectively the representation of the grave. Like a monument to the grave but in a more real way, in that they basically say that the tomb is underneath, the grave is underneath, and then it extends upwards like some kind of physical structure extends upwards. And so what you're seeing yani, in a tomb form at the top is effectively a representation of the actual tomb underneath. Even those subhanAllah, they know that those tombs are empty, right? They know there's no evidence even to suggest that. And they're empty, no evidence to suggest that there was anyone there or anyone uh, 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 buried there or moved or not. And, yani, and they've got like a viewing station where they kind of, you know, they've got them in the masjid and they've got them behind the, 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 the kind of like a, uh, um, what's it called, like a jal, what do we call jal, yara? Grill. grill, exactly, a grill. Yeah, so this kind of grill, this kind of ornamental grill. And so that, uh, and I, I said to you, I said, I said, well, I said, would you ever, 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 if this wasn't Palestine and this wasn't any a tour or thing, whatever, ever go into a masjid like this in a normative sense? Or would you ever pray in this? Or would you ever let people who are in your group pray in a place like this? It's like, this is ridiculous that we're here. And you know, the guides are giving it all their kind of kalam, whatever. And I said, I, I felt sick here, to be honest. And I said, if I come back, I will never allow this to happen. If I come back, I'm going to keep every single person in Aqsa and nothing. But Aqsa, that's it. Just where Aqsa is, and yeah, I don't mind yani, a little yani, understanding what happened around Aqsa because you think of Aqsa and you think of course of Quran Sunnah, you think about the Prophet ﷺ, you think about yani, its excellence from an Islamic point of view. But the surrounding of Aqsa, the Aqsa complex, what they call Al-Haram al-Sharif or the Jews call the Temple Mount, that's genuinely a place of action. Like this is where Sulaiman yani, was at. This is where Dawud was at. 
they left some edifices there. It's not clear what part is who. We know that that's definitely Aqsa or the, the core of Aqsa. We know everything else here and it surrounds. The only question that's in dispute is how far do you spread Aqsa from there? But as uh, actually in terms of the location, the centrality, then that's Aqsa. And the rest of it, yeah, there's no doubt that you're either going to restrict it just to the mount and say that it is only those buildings that have been seen by Sulaiman al-Islam, which was the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah, or it's a case of that, okay, and we have blessed the surroundings of it, and the surroundings, I mean, who's going to limit that? Who's going to limit? Some scholars said that this ayah means that the vegetation that you can see in a quite a vegetation-less area. So this kind of, you know, there's lots of trees and bushes and green, and they, they say that where this spreads, this, this is the barakah. But I could argue, as the Palestinians want to argue, it's in their interest to argue for it because they want any more people to visit. There's a political uh, connotation there. There's a financial tourist uh, connotation there as well. They'll argue that why are you restricting it? What's your evidence to restrict it? Why can't it be surround? Why can't it be all of the area? Why can't it be all of Palestine? And in fact, one of them said, why can't it be Sham as well? And I have to say, I'm very sympathetic to that opinion because Sham is the blessed land. Sham is Quds, yani it, is, it is Muqaddas land. And Sham, of course, is not Damascus, it's not Palestine, it's all of Greater Syria. It's the Levant, right? Uh, this uh, 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 Greater Syria is a phrase that is referring to Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Palestine. Right, or modern-day Israel as a political entity. All of this landmass, okay, is the wide area that's blessed, it's holy, it's special, not a shadow of a doubt about it. How many times in the Quran has it been referred to in a Mubarak sense? So why on earth would we want to restrict it? That is, I think, yani, the, but the core everyone agrees upon, and that's what I think we should focus on. So next time that we would, that I go, and I hope to, I hope to, inshallah, in September or October, I do hope to, I want it to be all about Aqsa. And Aqsa is deep. When you see the Jewish side and what they consider to be the, the wall that Suleiman has left, which they take on the western side, which is the western wall or the wailing wall, and they focus on that. Of course, they focus at the bottom on the main stones, which they consider to be the actual remnants of the, the Haikal or the Temple of Solomon. And then forget that, the way that the Christians have taken it, which is all in the Muslim area, by the way, because it's divided into quarters. But the Muslim area, the, 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 the Muslim area which we have a large kind of area, that's where the Christians have their most holy of holy sites, what's known as the Via Dolorosa, which is the 14 stations of Isa on the way to his crucifixion, right? Where he stopped, where he paused, where he was given help, where he was not, where he was kicked, where he was hurt, where he was... And all of these different stages are in Muslim-controlled, Muslim-cared-for areas, right? There's such a huge amount of history, such an amount of benefit that we can take just focusing on that without having to go to know, yani, you know, some... Masajid the tombs and places that literally have zero evidence whatsoever and so on. Where do we, where, where do we start? Where are we going? Anyway, um, why are we talking about that for? What's that got to do with Sajda? Something on a trip, yeah. Why are we, why, why are we going there? That's a the problem when I, I, I lose control. I don't even know where we, what's going. The camel. The camel. Oh, thank you. Zakam al-Akhir, we're talking about the camel. See, this camel always messes my head up. So, we went to Ariha, and while everyone is doing their little tourist thing, we made the video, and uh, the video we played last week, uh, uh, well done, always, video of the donkey. Unbelievable. Where did the donkey come from? A video of the camel, right? <laughs> to the donkey. So, I see, you know, that they, they, they offer rides on the camel. So, while people were getting on the camel, I said, SubhanAllah, we're doing any, uh, sujood next week. Or, you know, when I get back to Manchester, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, go through the fiqh of that. And of course, the most spoken about hadith in the chapter of uh, Salah with respect to the sujood 
is the video of the is the is the hadith of the camel. So by videoing the camel and showing everybody in slow motion, by the way, about this video, yeah. Uh, if you'd seen Yani last week, very nice. We did a very slow. Lala Shazada, nice if you uh, show us some skill and play it. But I don't I don't know if you can do it via Hangout. But anyway, uh, uh, we slowed it all down, and you basically saw the camel. It goes down first in its initial leaning without hitting the floor. Then it rests the second part, yani it go down in this, in this way. And then it kind of collapses and then it settles forward. So it's like a kind of like this, like that, like that, settling. This kind of uh, uh, action. And the Nabi Wasallam said, do not go down like the camel goes down. In the hadith of Abu Hurairah. And the hadith is sahih, no doubt about it. Don't go down like the camel is going down. How is the camel going down? Camel is going down like that. Like that, like that. What is like that? Because when you look at the video, what you're seeing is obviously there's two legs at the front, two legs at the back, but the legs have a clear joint, big joint, and it bends yani, very, very much. So it bends like that. So if that is its, uh, its, uh, its knees, if you like, or whatever it is, we, we have no idea. All right, what did we argue? We said elbows, right? Yeah, that's a whole debate. The scholars wrote, yani, you know, I remember last week reading 23 pages of someone who's absolutely fuming at Sheikh Uthaymeen for agreeing with Ibn al-Qayyim. Because Ibn al-Qayyim, he wrote an essay on this as well, only a couple of pages, but he wrote an essay on this hadith where he made a big, he made a controversial claim. His claim was that the Prophet, that the Prophet only in this hadith said, don't go down like the camel goes down. And at the end of the hadith is not the statement of the Prophet that is a statement of Abu Huraira. And we know, I, I, I was explaining, I think on the weekend, yeah, we were talking about the, the idraj and the, the increases of a narrator that increase upon an original text when they want to try and explain it. Abu Huraira, of course, narrates so many hadith and he always is happy and free to, uh, to give his opinion. And a number of times in fiqh, he would offer his opinion to try and make it clearer for students, especially those who are coming later. So whether it's the hadith of the, the najasa of the kelb, should you wash it yani, seven times and then add earth to it, is earth the original or the end, whatever. He will give it like a tafsiri kind of statement. He will kind of explain a little bit what he's actually referring to. So, uh, what did he, what did uh, 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 the, the end part of the hadith say? The end part of the hadith says, so then let him go down hands before feet, and hands before knees. Let him go down like that. Lala's put the video on, look, you see? The problem is, how are you guys, how are you guys gonna see? Yeah. Oh, one second, one second. Okay, well, Actually, you know what, you can, I can look, look. You can watch. The, you can see that, yeah. No, no. Just, just, just watch the screen. It's, a, it's a little bit delayed. You can see this now. Look, what's touching now? Can you see? Yeah. Has its knees touched the floor yet? So you can see now, you know, what touched the floor? Was it his knees? Are those refer, are those refer, because first of all, is the camel got four legs? Mm -hmm. Or is it two arms and two legs? It's four legs? Says who? <coughs> there, and that's it? So then why would the why did the Prophet refer to it then in a way that we should be not doing like it does?
anyway, last week's lesson, we had a lot of fun with this behavior. I think I watched this video like about 15 times, okay? And uh, is it done yet or not? Yeah. Oh, it's done, yeah. So we watched this video like 15 times. I don't want to bore all the students, yani, all the good students yani, who are watching, unlike yani, you pandus yani, who are just, yani, just sitting in and in for a free lunch, yeah? All right? Those folks, yani, they've already been through. I don't want to... Mashallah, Shaz has skills. I don't know how he did that, but anyway. Uh, he, uh, uh, he went through that video again and again and again to show that those folks that, that believe that it's the hands, they're looking at the way that it was bent, so the hands went first, and then what is happening at the back is then the legs, or the entire front is referring to the hands. And uh, to be honest, the point is it's confusing. It's clear the easiest, simple way is to look at it and assume that the front is its hands, like the human, and the back is its legs, like the knees of the human. And that the Prophet ﷺ said, don't go down like that. And let's just keep it simple. It goes down as if it was going down on its hands. The real controversy is not that. People are not so fussed about that part. The real controversy is the last part at the end, which is, so therefore, put your, ha go, therefore, put your hands before your knees which is the exact opposite of what we're observing. So Ibn al-Qayyim said that Abu Hurairah, he got this yani, upside down. It's like when you say to someone, you know, you're speaking to someone like, I'm, I'm just calling him, uh, you know, Usama. Usama, listen, you know, his Umar is straight, I'm meaning Umar, I know it's Umar, and I keep calling him Usama because it's just what's coming out of my mouth, right? So this is what's called yani, the maqloob, the, the, the yani, hadith which is, or a statement which is upside down. And he wanted to say, so let him then put his knees first and then his hands, right? In any case, Ibn al-Qayyim, that was his opinion and a number of the scholars. In fact, the majority of the scholars took that position, all right? Majority of the scholars took that position. But there are some, as I said, who are not happy with that uh, statement at all. They see it as an attack on Abu Huraira. They see it as a, you know, uh, they're coming from an angle of why is your immediate first response to the difficulty in hadith to say he got it wrong? Why can't you reconcile? Why can't you explain? Why can't you understand his statement in a deeper way, etc., etc.? Oh, so many pages. I fell asleep literally reading it. I fell asleep because I know because, you know, when the phone falls and hits you on the head. I was reading it in bed. One page, three pages, 20, 23 pages I got through, right? It was a big PDF. And then, duck hit me on the head and I realized I'd fallen asleep. So I said, forget you, man. So we'll just go with uh, Ibn al-Qayyim's position that it's, it's been turned. And the majority are of this opinion that we go down knees first and then the hands. However, regardless, what did we say last week? To close on this, Ibn Taymiyyah said that, um, that there is a consensus of the Ummah that whether you go down knees first or hands first, it is sufficient for the prayer. It is sufficient. But we're not talking about what is sufficient and what is okay and what is acceptable. We believe it is sunnah to follow the advice of the Prophet ﷺ and to go down knees first. It's a controlled and nice respectful way of going down. And we made a clear caveat that anyone who needs to go down hands first Anyone who needs to go down hands first, like for example, they're ill or they have some issue or they have some X or Y, then they can do that no problem. This is a matter of difference of opinion. Some scholars are still saying, no, we're going to go with the hands first. We have hadith. We said last week that if we look at the senate of every single hadith that mentions about hands first, there is some weakness. Not mega weakness, but some weakness. So in our class position, we're going with the majority of scholars that we feel that even though it's permissible to go hands first, it's a sunnah to go knees first and then to the hands. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And now... He says, once you're down, you prostrate, and you are prostrate on these seven limbs. Everything has got to be touching, proper, and solid, and straight. Okay? Absolutely no yani, weakness. It has to be solid, physical. So the feet are already in contact with the floor, and the knees yani, need to be solid on the floor. And now the author is going to actually describe the physical reality. 
okay, of actually what it means to be on the floor. What does it mean in terms of covering, surface? What's the floor? What about using things? So he starts off, he starts off by saying, He goes that he must prostrate on the floor. Okay, it must be the floor, even if there is a barrier on the floor, a cover on the floor. The ha'il here means, technically means a barrier, but here it means any kind of surface that's preventing you from the actual earth itself. And Sheikh Uthameen says, that could be your thobe, it could be your ghutra, it could be a carpet, it could be anything yani, which is considered to be the actual floor itself connected to it, as long as it doesn't change the nature of it being the ground. Right? As long as it doesn't change the nature of it being a ground. Um, and... The condition, of course, is it must be pure, must be clean. It can't be anything nejus, all right? Because that's not permissible. It's from the conditions of the prayer that one does not uh, prostrate upon anything which has najasa. Now we're in, uh, for those who have a sharh al-mumti, we're on page 114 at the top of uh, 114, volume 3. What does he then say? He says, um, the author told us that you cannot prostrate on the, the limbs themselves. That's basically referring to if a person makes sajda, that he does this. He makes sajda upon his, his, his actual limbs. Right? He can't make, a, he can't make sajda on the, you know, the, the, the hand or the arm or, or the whatever. Right? You might think, why on earth would he do that? I don't know. There could be, the, the ground could be dirty, the, crown, the ground could be uh, hot or something like that. So it is not allowed... To, put, to, make, to make prostration onto any of the limbs themselves um, or to put one hand on the other. That can sometimes maybe happen. You know, people, they, they might put their hands very close together, right? So imagine you didn't, you know, you know, you're not prostrating properly at all and you, you know, instead of keeping your arms separate, you had them together and then you prostrated and maybe one hand is on top of the other a little bit, yeah, like this. Or it touched your, uh, it touched your uh, hand, or your head was on top of the hand a little bit. Yani you can't be using that. Or, or for example, which you do see, okay, which is also a definition of, of sajda. I don't think I can show you this, but basically, if this is my, my foot and I do this, you get my point? You do see that, don't you? You see a person, instead of putting this on the floor, he is. Let me just uh, put this down. Okay. So instead of putting it on the floor, he puts it like here. And when you see people itching, you know you do see people itching, isn't it? They do that. If you were to put this up here, then this would be invalid sajda. And we're going to come to that in a second as well. Yani how, 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 how invalid? Yani what does it mean? What does it, uh, you know, I mean, we did touch upon it briefly last week, but we're going to go into it in a little bit more detail. So... Um, what about then, what about some other ha'il that is not yani, from your own limbs? Because he didn't actually mention anything else. He said even, he goes, prostrate upon the floor as long as you don't prostrate upon your limbs. So what is the ruling concerning prostrating on anything else? Yani, what about any other uh, surface? Is it, yeah, like anything. Yeah, I mean, what, 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 do, what do these things fall into? What kind of categories do they fall into? What would you, Yanni, say in terms of what you prostrate upon? That which you are, that's connected to you? Yeah, that would be one category. And then another category with things that are not connected to you, which is this carpet. Yeah? Then there will be items, for example. So let's see how the folk... Huh? Other people, for example. Very good. 
other people, because we have some yani, narrations and athar about what happens in Jum'ah, for example, the prostration upon someone else's feet, for example, because there's no space, etc., etc. So we know that the barrier or the, the, the thing that you prostrate upon will differ according to the amount of space or the amount of uh, or the, or that current situation. So, therefore, uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, according to the people of knowledge, the barrier or the surface can be divided into two types. The first one is that which is connected to the, the, to, to the, to the musalli, mutasil, yani bil musalli, and the other one which is munfasil, which is separate, which is independent, yani individual. Okay? So the Sheikh says that um, as for that which is connected to you, then this is makruh. فَهَذَا يُقْرَهُ أَنْ يَسْجُدَ عَلَيْهِ إِلَّا مِنْ حَاجَةٍ مِثْلَ الثَّوْبَ الْمَلْبُوسِ يعني This is makruh to, to make sajda upon unless there's a need, unless there's an actual need, okay? So for example, you're wearing a ghutra. Now the ghutra is that, you know, that kind of tea cloth thing, yeah, that they put on, right? And so that, let's say that, you know, you were to take its loose part, you know, because it's like loose, and you were to put it up on the floor because of some reason. Maybe because it's too cold or maybe it's too hot. Or you got a thobe, or you know, you got the thobe like this. Yeah, that's a good example. You know, you get some of the Moroccan ones, or you got one of these you know, boys, and it's like a big one. And it comes over, and then you prostrate upon it. Yep, like this. You got what I'm saying? So there's obviously there's a, there's a, there's a difference, you know, if that happens intentionally or unintentionally. But the point is, what about that? Or hijab, yep. You know, hijab, a person decides to do it or, or not. What's the ruling on that? We have a hadith. A hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Kunna nusalli ma'an nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi shiddati al-har. Anas said that we used to pray with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the intense heat. Fa'idha lam yastati ahaduna an yumakkin jubhata min al-ard, basata thawbahu fa sajada alayhi. If one of us was finding it really difficult to put our head on the floor because it's so hot, then we would extend our thawb, open up our thawb and prostrate upon it. So we see that the, the hadith, the word, the word is very instructive. If we were unable, right? That's a, a clear indication. And it was very, very hot. So you can see from the wording of the hadith that this is what would need to have happened before they feel comfortable in actually enacting that. For, uh, uh, that so therefore, Sheikh Uthameen says, the fact that he said that means that they did not used to do it in normative circumstances. Alright? If we were unable to, he said. If we were unable to prostrate on the floor. Which means if we are able to, then we don't then extend the thobe. So were they unable to, they extend the thobe. Okay? Therefore, this indicates that is something which is disliked in normative circumstances unless there is a need. The second one is that which is monfossil, which is separate, which is a complete yani, separate sheet or whatever. And this is no problem, there is no kiraha, there's no dislike in this, there's no obligation in it, it is something which is permissible. We know that the Prophet ﷺ, as narrated in Bukhari, he prayed on a piece of, uh, he prayed on a khumrah, a khumrah, anahu salla ala al-khumrah, hadith narrated by Bukhari, hadith 371, narrated by Bukhari, by Muslim as well, and that was hadith number 513. And uh, the khumrah, is basically a large leaf. It's like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, um, uh, what do they call the, uh, you know, the, the date palm, uh, date palm, do they call it a leaf from the date palm? A, th a, th a what? A thr with an F or a THR? F, yeah. 
I don't call it. I don't want to call it a leaf. It's something else. But you know the the the, the, the kind of uh, what you'd use to 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 interweave between the roof. So what? Yeah, but what, what, what is it? Just a leaf? Just a leaf, yeah. Okay, whatever. Anyway, but the point is, a big wide. It's a, it's, it covers quite a large, yeah, surface area, and um, as Sheikh Uthameen goes, it will cover at least the area of the head and the arms, meaning it's quite big, right? So it's a, it's a quite a big area. So then Sheikh Uthameen then says, okay, so that therefore indicates to us that there are three things that can potentially be. Uh, Therefore, prostrated upon any part of your actual limbs of sajda, this is haram. That's the first one. The prostration is uh, 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 the, 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 the prostration is what invalid. Okay. The second, the uh, uh, that which is not yani from the uh, uh, limbs of the sajda, but it is connected to the body. And this is makruh. If a person does it without reason, the sajda is valid. And if the person, but it's something which is disliked, and if a person has a need, then the prayer is not disliked, the sajda is not disliked, and it is still valid. So in the second version, the, the, the sajda is valid. And then the third type of thing that you can prostrate upon then is something which is monfasil, and this is something which is allowed. Okay. However, however, there were... Some scholars, they said it's allowed and the sajda is allowed and it's something which is quite fine yani, on a separate yani, piece. All right? But here's something interesting. Some of the scholars, Ahlul Ilm, they said that it is not, that is not, it is not good, yani, yukrah, again, makru, to only do that yani, for the head part. So you know sometimes when a person's praying outside, what they might do is they might have some tissue or they might have a napkin and they put the napkin out you know, just for the head because that's what's going to... Uh, make contact or whatever. Maybe it's because that's the thing that you're feeling the dirt in most, okay? And why, why would you think that? Why do you think this is makuru? Why do you think that some of the scholars said that? Resemblance of the Shia, correct, okay? And not the Shia, it's not correct to say the Shia, but the Rafidah. Because the Shia themselves are a broad school. It's a broad church over there. They've got lots of different, you know, versions, sects and, and, and levels. And the Rafidah, as a theological shoot, uh, offshoot from them, and an aqid, and with a, with a defined cult, yeah, with, the, with a defined creed as well, the Rafida with all of their bells and whistles, one of their very key well-known principles is that they want to, they were, you know, they have that stone. And this stone, I don't know too much about, what I know is that it's from Najaf, yani their, their holy place, their holy shrine place, whatever, and they go there and, you know, they, they have lots of places where you can collect it. In actual fact, in some of their masajid around the world, when you go towards the kind of front, you'll see little containers that have loads of these stones, and you can basically pick up these, uh, you know, it's like, you know, us packs pick up a topi, basically, and stick it on our heads. Instead of the topi, they've got, yeah, the whole next level, a couple of stone behavior, yeah? So then they get that little clod, and they put it down, and they pray on it. And you'll see them, obviously, they don't want to reveal that they're Shia, so they keep it very, very uh, nondescript. So they, what they'll do is that they will uh, keep it in their hand. Right, and then when they when they go down for salah, they'll quickly just put it there in front, and then they'll just make the sajda, and then as soon as they get up from the sajda, they'll pick it up and they'll just hold it in their hands to not make it clear that that you know, and the reason for that is because they said that the hukum shara is about the the earth itself, and you can't use any surface, right, and um, 
will say, okay then, so if you can't use any surface, then, then just you know, prostrate on the floor. But they're saying, well, if we're going to prostrate on the floor, we might as well you know, use something which represents the floor, which is a stone. And if we're going to present the floor, then let it be you know, something special, which is you know, the Najaf stone or whatever it is. Um, and, well, obviously, this is something you know, which is important because when something starts to become common or being you know, practiced, it is then upon Ahlul Sunnah to then go against it to educate, to make sure that people don't fall into the trap of thinking this is a norm. Does that make sense? And so we would then ensure that we would pray on a, 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 a surface intentionally to make it clear that the sunnah is also to pray on a surface as well as to pray outside. And likewise, I like this position of Ahlul Ilm, by the way, that don't, you know, when you're outside, don't just cover your, your head. And, you know, if I was going to do that, I'd be looking at knees. I couldn't care less about the head than the, the you know, Head least of all might be something for the hands, you know what I'm saying? It's all about yani, what you want to protect, okay? If you if you place if you think the place is dirty, but the head is nothing, yani. you just brush the head off and that's it. So, or maybe that's a guy thing. Maybe that's because men don't care. Your hijab is ruined. Your hijab is ruined, yeah. Your hijab is protecting your head anyway. Just go home and wash it. What's wrong with that? Plus, it's already makruh. You know what I mean? Exactly. Huh? Sick move. Breathe through the nose, yeah? <laughs> I never even thought about that. What's this connection to the, to the stone? It's not the stone. Like you cover the ground because you don't want to breathe in the dust. That's why you put an afternoon. Ah. I should take I never thought about that. Maybe I don't even breathe in such a maybe. I never thought about that before. Breathe in the dust. You know, I'll tell you one thing, by the way, you made me just realize that because I just realized, why you breathe my nose or not? I don't think I breathe through my nose anyway. You know, the mo you know, let me tell you something. You know when you start to learn how to scuba dive, the most difficult thing is having to change the way you breathe because you're not allowed to breathe through your nose because you, you die, basically, yeah? <laughs> so when you go down, yeah, and they're saying you can't breathe through your nose, breathe through your mouth, in, out, and you're just, you know, it's a natural thing, it's normal. You're actually, you're breathing through your nose, you don't even realize it. You only realize it when you go underwater, and you, water goes into your nose and you go, whatever. And then obviously the more that you train, the more you train, and it's all about mouth, it's actually really difficult. You just maybe think about that, anyway, okay. I don't, I think you are breathing through your nose. What are you trying to say? You're trying to say you can't say something from your mouth if you're breathing through your nose? Is that what you mean? You're breathing. You're not. Especially not breathing in from the nose. Ah, you're right. He's right. He's right. Do it. Say subhanallah, subhanallah, and then breathe. Breathe through the nose, meaning. So you say subhanallah, 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 and then breathe in through your nose, and you'll stop saying subhanallah. Well said, wallahi, well said. Wallahi, so true, there you go. Excellent reputation.
Subhanallah breathes, Subhanallah breathes. All right, okay. Yeah, so he's going to talk about that. What, what does it mean, Yanni, with, with, with folks who have got some issue or some temporary condition or something else? So, so just to finish that off then, um, uh, so this is the position of the Shia. By the way, I, I want you to know, obviously we have a major problem with the Rafida and so on, but when we're in issues of fiqh, we do treat them like a separate school of fiqh. I mean, we, we, we do kind of, uh, how can I say, we need to be academic about it. Any, any academic uh, study of anything, Right? I mean, it's painful, don't get me wrong, yeah? And, and it's weird. But if you're doing an assessment of fiqh positions of a mas'ala, if you don't include the position of the Ja'fariya or the position of the Rafidah, you've not been academically honest. Because they are a distinct school of fiqh, they have usul, they have scholars, and it does need to be taken into account. So this is not something to mock. We get their reasoning, we just think that it's incredibly weak. The Prophet, for example, it has been established very clearly that he made the prostration, as we just said, upon the leaves. And also we have the hadith of Anas, when uh, uh, he, uh, the Prophet uh, Anas narrated in Bukhari, in the, in the book of Salah, in the chapter, praying upon Amat, hadith number 380, and Imam Muslim, in the book of Masajid, uh, in the chapter, the, permissible, the permissibility of the jama'ah, of praying nafila uh, uh, in a jama'ah, and also the prayer upon a mat, a cloth, a thawb, and anything else which is pure. That's the actual statement of Imam Muslim. All right, that's hadith number 658. And so what has been indicated there, what has been proven, that it is completely clear. This hadith, by the way, that I'm talking about, the Prophet Anas, he took the mat of the Prophet which had become black. It had become black from how much it had been used, how much it had been prostrated upon, how much it had been used in other things as well, and so forth, he was washing it. So the Prophet ﷺ used it a lot for that purpose, and then Anas, he praised upon it, and then he, pray, then he prayed upon it. So the hadith are very, very clear, and so we'd say to the Rafidah in this that you've got really no basis for your uh, action. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so when a question is asked, obviously we have the Janamaz, uh, Janamaz, you guys call it? You guys call it Janamaz? Or Musalla, yeah? Pax call it now Musalla, because the Arabs have basically messed up our language now, yeah? And we're not even calling it Janamaz anymore, which is the greatest word ever, by the way, Janamaz, right? And Musalla, and this prayer, prayer rug, nowadays they're like memory foam, and they're like big fat, mashallah, and it's amazing, absolutely. And you know, not only that now, me and Lala uh, Usmani, and nowadays, every time we go to, to Mecca, we bring one back. You know the old uh, seat? So it now it's like a transformer. It, it, it moves, turns into a seat, chuck, chuck, chuck. Then you can lean back against it. I was using it in Aqsa when I gave the lesson, I was leaning against it. And when you put it out flat, it's a musalla. It's a janamaz. And not just a normal janamaz, by the way. The middle section, because it's three, folds like this. And it's got a carry handle, nice, mashallah, like a briefcase, yeah? Like the old techigas, you know techigas, yeah, like in the good old days. So the middle section is a memory foam thing. So it's like a proper surface for the knees, where the knees go down. <coughs> Very nice. Anyway, what were you saying? Yeah. So obviously, as you can see, I'm completely in favour of that. Yeah, completely, completely in favour. I don't think that's the issue. I don't think the issue of a janamaz and musalla and yani a duvet and things like that. I don't have a problem with that. 
What I really want to know about, what do you think about the kind of things that our elders used to pray on? Which is like a katki, as we call it, like this, this table. You guys have that in the pen? Not, not chitai. Chitai is a surface, isn't it? That's like made of uh, straw or whatever. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about flat surfaces. I'm talking about this table. Elevated. Elevated to this height. Elevated. You have that, right? And it has a barrier around it. And it has a nice little mihrab at the front as well. Nicely carved, made out of wood. So what do you think about that? That's actually elevated. Dr. Dusa, what's the main reason they do that? Yeah. <laughs> My grandmother, she spent her life on that. We used to watch her, she lived on it. We used to put the, the, the razai upon it, and she would throw it off. <laughs> throw it off. And wallah, yani, after we see, yani, after she passed, alayhi rahmatullah, we used to see that the knees areas are bent into the wood. You know, the wood areas. But as, as Dr. Riz said, everyone's nani and dadi are always yani, you know, on that. But what's the reason for it? Is it because it has a built-in mihrab? Uh, uh, sutra What is the main reason? Or is it Because what my theory is Of course is that um, In our houses Which are all made of mud There is no surface There's no carpets And that allows a clean surface Is that the, is that the reason? Dr. Saab? Anyone ever speak to you What the reason is? Oh Jakumullah Excellent <coughs> Correct all these yani, scorpions and rats and s snakes and all this kind of area, they're all over the place. Definitely. Anyway, I think it's permissible. We're not talking about yani, something which is not considered a ground. It is a, something which has been laid on the ground with a purpose, with a reason. I'm good. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. All of these things. The problem, though, there is a problem, though. There is a problem. The problem is that if you become too used to this, and again, we go back to the ahadith which talk about the prohibition of tying up one's hair and, and rolling up one's uh, trousers and clothes. And in principle, the people used to do that because they didn't want it to kind of get dirty. So you kind of, you know, you lift it up. Actually, you know, if we were to say that that's what they used to do, that's not true. That's what people still do today. Straight up. Yani I know, for example, where I, I, I know that if I've got baggy arms, baggy arm, yani thob, and it's all dirty, then when I go into uh, prostration, it's definitely going to be rubbing in the, in the ground, right? And why is it that people, why actually is it that people do this before they make wudu? I mean, what is the actual reason? Because you can still make wudu like this. I mean, if this was baggy, I mean, yeah? You could still wash and then let, but people don't like it getting wet. People don't like the feeling or whatever. So what if it feels a bit rough? But it's a culture, isn't it? Yeah? Now, when you're back home in the parent, you have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah? Because it's so hot and it, yeah, and it you know, and not, not, but, but not just so hot. It's like everyone does it. No, it's, it's almost like I don't need to look after myself yeah, when I'm in those kind of, you know, uh, cultures or in, the, in those kind of societies. I don't need to wear my best clothes. I can wear my rough clothes. I can rough it around. But when I'm here where things are cleaner, I've got to be cleaner, which is true. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it starts to get to your heart, that's a problem. If it starts to get to your heart that, you know, and then, then you will find yourself restricting yourself from places where you can pray openly. And the Muslim has got to have in his, in his, you know, in his locker the ability to knock out the salah anywhere. He's got, huh? Absolutely. It's actually a matter of identity as well. A person's got to be one of those folks that is very au fait with time for salah. Right here, and not someone who got to find an isolated place, 
got to be absolutely silent, got to be no kids, got to be no music, can't be a changing room. No, you've got to, you know, uh, the whole reason that you study fiqh is to understand what does really affect your prayer and what doesn't. Right? When you study all this time to realize that the floor in principle is pure, pure, even if it looks dirty, that dirt itself is not actually najis, there's a big difference between something being yani, dirty and being najis. What is the actual function of learning that kind of knowledge? To make you confident that you can actually make your sajda on that and not worry. Just because people walk over it, it might be dirty, you might need to clean yourself, but it's pure from a shara point of view. The, the floor, the floor, normal floor, dirt is not najasa. Now, I'm not talking about carpet, I'm talking about being outside. Oh, that's ground. The floor is dirt. Is that true? Yeah. Good point, though. Ground. Yeah, just a, a, yeah, good, yeah. Uh, I, I never thought about that floor. Yeah, gr- ground. I must have said that so many times. So that's why I'm calling it the floor, yeah? See that? See how my lala, yani family, and I see yani makhraj? It's true, isn't it? It's yani, even the floor, yani outside is a pavement that is artificial. But yeah, anyway, ground floor. But the point is that we've got to be able to have confidence to go down, not always, ah, I ain't got my musallah, I can't pray, or you know, this kind of stuff. That's a, that's a problem. An actual fact, and what Sheikh Uthameen is going to uh, uh, explain now um, is. <coughs> That we've gone so much into the physical, and we're focusing so, focusing so much. And actually, let him let him uh, uh, finish this point. He goes, "The sujood ala hadi al-aqaa sabga wajibun fi kulli hal fi kulli hal al-sujood." Bimana, anhu la yajuz an yarfa aqwan min aqaaihi hal al-sujoodihi. La yadan, wala rijlan, wala anfa, wala jubha, wala shay min hadi al-aqaa sabga. So I, I, we talked about this briefly last week. That at no point. In the sajda, are you allowed to lift anything? You have to be prostrated upon all of these things at all times. And when you are prostrating and your feet are implanted on the ground, it must be strong. It can't be just, you know, like this. Right? And I mean that because sometimes it's just touching and it's very, subhanAllah, very loose. Little bit of thing. And and there are other people, you know, that they're always in a state of movement in their prayer. So you'll find that in the sajda, their feet are going up and down like this, literally. Then you've got the people who are absent-minded, lift the other foot to scratch the other foot with it, etc., etc. Or then maybe they might be taking their hand off and then scratching themselves, right? So Sheikh Uthameen says, what is it that invalidates the, the sajda? There are some scholars, he says, that said that even one part of the sajda that goes up off the floor, the entire sajda is gone. I find this difficult to accept, and Sheikh Uthameen also says um, that maybe we should uh, 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 actually use the, 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 the fiqh principle that maybe we should establish the idea that actually the ruling is given to what is seen in general and what is the majority. And of course, if it only happens for 0.1 second or one second in a 10 second sajda and at, for nine seconds, it's there, then that's definitely the dominant feature of the sajda. I also mentioned last week that if technically you perform the sajda, even if you're there for a long time, so for example, we know that the minimum of a sajda is that you are in sajda and that you relax your bones. So that's the physical. We know from a technical that you've got to at least say subhanahu rabbil a'ala once. That technically is one second. Let's say for nine, ten seconds, 
for one second of when you said Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, the rest of the time you're scratching, scratching, scratching. So I even go further and say that as long as you were able to say Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la at that one time, at that moment you caught the sajda, the rest of the time you were in some other state. But there's no doubt that you won't rely upon that. There's no doubt that from a practice point of view, we should teach people that they are not allowed to lift it even for one second. And if you do, then the prayer is invalidated. But practically speaking, our rule, we believe that if they were able to fulfill the conditions even for one second, full sajda, full stability, breathed and relaxed in that position, and they were able to say subhanahu rabbi al-a'la, then the sajda itself is valid. Is that clear? And it has been considered to be so. Right? And then the final point that he says, what about someone... What about someone who's unable to, to prostrate upon certain aspects of his, or certain limbs? Okay? And Sheikh Uthameen says something that we've been saying so far already. We have a qa'idah, we have a maxim that helps us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fear Allah as much as you possibly can. And the statement of Rasul Surah Taghabun, verse uh, 16. And then the Prophet وسلم, also said in the hadith narrated by Bukhari, If I command you to do something, then do of it as much as you possibly can. If I command you to do something, then do of it as much as you can. So if it's possible, if it's like, you know, person's got his arm broken and he can only make the sajda upon one arm, then this is something that is permissible for him. He prostrates in the exact same way. So his left hand goes down last and he keeps his right hand above the floor because he can't possibly put it down for one reason or it's in a plaster cast or it hurts too much or whatever. So that's easy, right? You would do that because you are fully uh, showing an actual sajda and the part of sajda you're not showing is minimal so you would actually go down fully. But what about uh, he's done a prostration upon his eyes so the pressure does not allow him to go you know, down which happens often, right? For that one month time You've got the any you can't you can't have the pressure you know increasing, so you have to now keep your uh, uh, head up, and so therefore this person can he doesn't yani make prostration upon the uh, uh, floor, but he indicates as much as he possibly can. So he should be sitting on the floor, and you know that. Uh, uh, this idea that you should be sitting on a chair I don't know whether we, how much we've covered it Obviously in Fiqh Salah we've covered it But I don't know how much we've covered it in class In, in LP But the chair is not the asal Right? If you are unable to sit Or you are un- unable to manipulate your legs Or prostrate You know like you're meant to People think automatically chair This is a huge mistake And it's this mistake which is causing The complete nightmare in all the masajid and as we said before many times, and we'll keep saying it, it's turning our mosques into churches. And that's all we are now. It's just churches. It's pews upon pews of rows of chairs at the front. And that's not the asal. Yani, you know, you want to keep chairs at the back and keep it yani, out of the way for people who have a genuine yani, issue, that's fine. It should be for the very, very, very elderly who have got a problem, who have got no help. I mean, they've got no support. You get what I'm saying? People who themselves yani, have got no ability to be able to uh, do it themselves, you know, because the issue is not going to the floor. Everyone can go to the floor, it's getting back up again, right? And so if someone has got no one with them to get back up, then we understand the chair. That's what the chair is there for, because it prevents a person having to go all the way down to the floor, which they can't lower themselves to it yani, with controlled strength, because you need arm strength to balance down. And then to get back up, you need strong arms as well, and legs as well to get back up, and then you can't do it. That's the kind of person who gets the reason for the chair. But if a person's got a bad knee, for example, meaning they can't make sajda, or they've got a problem which they can't yani, sit in, in the tashahud. That means you can't 
make tashahud, and it means you can't make sajda with your bad knee. It doesn't mean you sit on a chair. So you should sit on the floor, and when you come to sajda point, you're very firmly sat down, you went down for sajda, and then you'll put your legs out in front of you, depending upon your condition, or you cross your legs, or you sit however you want to sit, and because you now can't go forward, then you will make your indication. You'll make your indication, and you will make your, your move like that. So this is the asal, the status quo, the next move when you are unable to make a proper sajda. Not the chair. The chair is the third stage, not the second stage. So full, sorry, I should say, yeah, full is assumed. If you can't do full, as much of it as you can on the floor in the way that you can by being a, be, by being a bit deficient. So for example, let's imagine that, like recently when I had my uh, operation, I was, I was seeing my, my recovery was different. My recovery was, was not equal in my knees. And so there will be times where I'll be prostrating on my left knee only. But my, you know, you might say, right, well, that's a reason for you to prostrate with your feet out. Answer is correct. However, is my attempt of prostrating properly, fully with my knee off the floor, with my right knee off the floor, closer to the sajda or not? This is what, this is what it looked like. Okay, so if I'm in a position, look at this. If you're not next to me, you, don't, you can't even tell. Agreed? Whatever, then you, you lot tell them. <laughs> yes? You can't even tell. If I'm up here like this, and this is literally all I'm doing, I'm, just, I'm keeping like a centimeter off the floor, my right knee, folks can't even tell that I, I, I'm not there. So in this case, because my sajda is almost as complete to the actual final act, then you do as much as whatever you can that represents the act as much as you possibly can. Right? If it's mile off, if it's like, I can't even bend my knee, right? So imagine that this was a knee that, that, that had to be kept straight. So this is just silly, isn't it? Like, like I mean, that's just crazy, right? And why am I even trying to produce the sajda here? Then it just makes more sense for me than just to keep my, my legs out and then do the sajda like that. So the idea is that, first of all, the first stop is you try to do an act which represents as much as possible of the original act. And then when you are unable to represent that original act, meaning it doesn't even matter now, then you move to a position which is without a, 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 third, uh, without a third party, without an, another implement. So that, as, as I said, is either sitting on the floor. That is, for example, if you're in chains or if you are on your bed, then whilst you're lying there, indicating with your eyes, indicating with your, if you can't move your eyes, you can't do anything and you've got a hand, then you indicate with your hand, if you're a prisoner, if you're paralyzed, everything. You don't start using a third implement, like a chair or like a bed or like whatever, until you yourself can't do something physically, right? And just, just the common sense of this is so clear. Yani, the masajid have never been... You know people, they talk about this, they argue this point, and I can't believe they even got the guts to argue this. We have so much evidence and so much detail about the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ and the companions and the tabi'een. And, you know, can you believe? I said, Dan, where is all the chairs? Where's the chairs? Where's the stools? Where are the front lines? Yani, full of what? They all died young, yani? They all, none of them had any problems? And you'll be amazed, yani, people are saying that, no, this is a norm... And this is, uh, you know, one person said they never had chairs at that time. Can you believe that? They never had chairs at that time. I said, Khuda Kamanda, are you serious? Are you actually serious right now? 
But that's my point. Yani if we now, if we, why do we sit on the chairs all the time? Why do we have so many chairs? Why is it that a person who's just done a little bit of a sprain of his knee suddenly just plopped down on his chair? Not even plopped down in the chair. He doesn't even stand up in Fatiha. He thinks, right, chair, let me just sit down on this. And I recite Fatiha like this. They did like this. People are so ignorant of the fiqh of actually what to do when you have a problem that you see a chair and they say, oh, that's what you're meant to do. Because it's, beca because it's become a norm. No, no, I get that. I get that the chair is a fundamental part of our life and that's fine. But I'm saying that the prayer is tawqifi, isn't it? The positions of the prayer are tawqifi, meaning that they are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that should only be changed to something else if there's an evidence. And there is no evidence of going to a chair. The evidence is all suggesting everything else other than the chair. Some scholars, by the way, they did say that what you just said. They said, well, the chair has now become such a norm in our lives that it is the go-to before the floor. And that's a big shout. And I might accept that on an individual basis. But it's like many things in Sharia, what we accept on an individual basis for ourselves mustn't become the cultural norm. So if a person, for example, they've got the legal right to combine the prayer, right? For some, whatever reason. He shouldn't be going and imposing that upon the jama'ah and making this, the, 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 the masjid change its identity you know we, we talk about this all the time yani i might have a problem and i might for example pray at home upon the chair it's just more, much more difficult but when i go to the masjid i'll make a point of trying to avoid the chair as much as possible so i do not contribute to the cultural change the cultural revolution frankly in our masjid which our front lines are now looking more like pews than they are an actual line of people now you, go, you don't find a masjid except that the five chairs at the end there and the chairs there are, 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 you know, are set, are set. And I'll tell you something interesting. You know in the Arab lands, not in the Pak lands, but in the Arab lands, to avoid the kind of cultural fallout of this nonsense, they put the chairs at the back. And that's why when you go into these Arab mosques, you'll find the people who need to sit on a chair, sitting on a chair at the back in the same jama'ah. Alone? Alone? While everybody's at the front. While everybody's at the front. On what justification is that? They did that because they know that they need the chairs because of the condition. But they're also super sensitive to the, what I'm saying, which is that they're changing the structure of the, of the jama'ah, of what it should be. The jama'ah is that people should be sitting down on the floor, standing up, sitting on the floor, standing up. Some people are old, some people are not. Some people can stand for the first rak'ah, then they can't get up again from sajda, and they say they remain there. This is what we should be doing. But people will put the chair there regardless so that they... This is not good. We're not talking about permissibility here. We're talking about changing the identity of the Muslim culture, changing the identity of the masjid. It's again like similar to summertime. Are you guys holding out or in summertime or do I need to do your best now as well? In July and August? Okay, alhamdulillah. Because I don't want Yanni to get in trouble with Dr. Dries and he attacks me afterwards, okay? Yeah, now you know in Canada what they started to do now, they've copied the UK. In July, August, September, they combine Maghrib and Isha continuously. Yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's the norm now, obviously, because it's just, because they're not here in Al Huda. They, they do it in Toronto. That's here. That's because we had that discussion here, isn't it? They're holding out. In Milton, they do? Oh no, Edmonton, Calgary, gone. They're gone. 
They've gone, gone, gone. You know, Wallahi, I came here in 2008 or 9 or whatever, and I went to Calgary, and I said to them that this fatwa from Sheikh Abdullah Judea, he was my, my hadith teacher, he was. I go, it will come here, and you guys will be the first ones that will hold. They said, no, we won't. One year later, their masajid are applying it across the board. Now, I want you to understand what happens. It's no doubt that the Maghrib is very late. It's no doubt that there is a legal argument that is permissible to combine. And I'll even say, very generously, that it might be possible for it to be done on a continual basis on a Monday to a Thursday because they're all working and they're all promising that they're, not going, to, they're going straight to sleep straight after Maghrib and they've got early work in the morning and whatever. I'll even accept it all. But on what basis did they, imply, did they apply that to the jama'ah and change the direction and the identity of the, of the masjid? A masjid that is only a masjid because the five prayers are, are applied and, uh, and established all the time. And you have a reality where the masjid is not praying Isha at Isha time. It's a shocker. And it was the one thing, by the way, which upset me most. And that's obviously, Yani, you know, because we're whatever. But when I went to Aqsa, the thing that upset me most, without a shadow of a doubt, after the IDF forces all over the place, was the fact that because at uh, 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 Zuhr time, from the occupied areas, the Palestinians come to pray in Aqsa, because they've made this journey and because when they go back, it will be roadblocks and checks and all the rest of it, it will be difficult to get back and pray Asr on time. So they combine. Every time the people, they come to Aqsa from far away, they combine Dhuhr and Asr in Aqsa, which is fine because they are in a difficulty and they're travelers and that's fine. But you know what they do? They do it on the mic. So you'll be there just making any your salah, dhikr, whatever, basic, and then the iqamah will go, and they'll say, yeah, we're combining, yani, all the people who want to combine come to the front. This is not right. You want to combine, right? Then just go over there in that far corner, and a few of you, the few 20, 30 of you want to combine, combine. But don't change the structure of the jama'ah. Yani, subhanAllah, Imam Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu an, and the, the position of the Shafi'i school, and the position of Shaykh al-Albani now, for example, like, uh, meaning in modern times, and a number of scholars in between, and I've got to say, this is my opinion as well, and I am very sympathetic to this. Don't even allow a second jama'ah in a masjid. A second jama'ah in a masjid, even though the Prophet clearly, allowed, uh, clearly told the person, hey, why don't you give your brother some sadaqah? Right? So a person came in, he hadn't prayed, and he's looking around for, for a partner to get 27 rewards, and he said, why don't you get up and, you know, Pray with your brother so that he gets the reward of the jama'ah. So we know that it is permissible, right? However, we say that this was in a, our explanation of this hadith, is that there's no doubt it is allowed. But this was not being done in a formal way where people didn't know what was going on and it was not reducing any the, the, the importance of the original jama'ah and in the presence of the Prophet Sallallahu and 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 and. Otherwise, if we keep promoting this idea that a person can come in late to the prayer and there'll always be another jama'ah that will be prayed, then I'll just chill, I'll just get there, and there'll be, there'll be, it won't be a problem. Or that this is a masjid in which people are coming and there's a second prayer going on in front. Oof, that kind of thing freaks me out. Anyway, so, um, uh, right, anyway, I think that's enough for that because we have loads of questions and I'm sure you guys have got questions as well. So let me just go to the front and uh, I will take it yani, from like this and like this. Yes, Jiva. Tables have turned, Solange, they said. Yes. Yes. What about 
Right, right. Okay, meaning, and there's no restriction. So your question basically is, if you are on a, if you're in a building, and it had three floors, and you could go to any floor, is it okay to remain on the third floor? It's a good question. Because if it's about the ground, then surely you should get yourself down to the ground. Yeah, no, very, very well said. Very well said. And is it that, is it that you know, it's a, is the illa, is the sharia reason behind the sajda to be in the lowest place or is it the ground? What do you think the answer is? Because, yani, as I said, to answer this question, you need to understand what the illa is. What is the sharia wisdom? Behind sajda, is it the lowest place or is it the ground? It's the ground. It's anything that operates as a ground. It's anything that makes you feel like you're on the ground. It's any surface that that reproduces the characteristics of the ground. Like you are meant to submit submit yourself. It's a it's a position of humiliation, servitude. You bow in front of someone. Except that it's Allah, and because it's Allah, then you are actually not humiliated, but you are honored, right? Does one get the feeling if they do that upstairs in the bedroom when they prostrate on the floor? Yes. Like if I was, if I was, if I, if I was making someone kneel in front of me and I said, kneel in front of me, prostrate in front of me, I'm your master. They would be humiliated whether I did it upstairs or downstairs. It's true, isn't it? You'd feel the same. So I think it's not, not a problem to, uh, to do that. Um... Uh, Always says, uh, just to confirm, do we understand the hadith of Jum'ah where the Sahabi did sajda on the limbs of one another as an exception? Absolutely. It's not allowed, Yani. You know, it's a bit weird, that, isn't it, Yani? Yeah? Lots of space, and you say, listen, just don't mind, don't mind me, Yani, doing a little, <laughs> little bit of behavior. Rehan has said, I've missed something out. Remind me when we get back, inshallah, we'll do that. Palm fiber, that's what I was looking for. Palm fiber. For, yeah. Listen, Widada said it. Don't you dare challenge. Front. That's the problem. But it's okay. They can fight it out. Canadians can fight it out. We don't get involved in their fight. So the act of bringing your hijab cloth up to cover the floor where your head will touch, like many girls do, for the reason of not wanting their face to touch the dusty floor carpet would be makruh. Correct. Correct. Because it is... Because it is part of your, your it is part of, um, uh, actually that's a good point, I want to clarify that. Because that is connected to you, and your reasoning behind that is not yani, the attitude that you need to be developing. Right? So the question that comes after that is, what about then when I make prostration and I prostrate on my hijab and not my head? Because different hijab styles, a lot of yours are very high, some are very, very low. Hat like this, for example, this is yani, right on the prostration of my Part, yes, the amama for example, the normal hat for example. What's the ruling? We've covered that before. We said that anything which covers this does not need to be removed. It does not need to be removed. So a person, Yani, who would go, you don't need to take it off to prostrate, but then to put it on to prostrate on is a problem. You get what I'm saying? That is, Yani, where the connection is coming that I'm putting on. But if your hat is there, normative position is there, and you don't prostrate, and that's what, Yani, get, hits the floor first, or 50-50 on the floor first, that's not a problem. But someone taking their hijab to put it there properly, and then, you know, doing that behavior, that's not right. What about 
uh, unless there's a real reason. It is very hot. It is very dirty. By the way, it's not life and death. It's not life and death if it is very, very dirty or it is yani, some kind of, you know, you have a dust allergy, for example, or then it's allowed. It's a, it's a haja, a need, not a necessity, not a darura, any kind of need. So, uh, uh, just to clarify, if the hijab or some item of clothing were to fall forward whilst in prayer and you made sujood upon it and you did not intentionally pull it forward to do sujood upon, would this be makruh? Answer no. Anything which just happens just like that, then, and we shouldn't make the, the conscious effort, the, the question is that, you know, to you know, get everything out of the way. No. Normative things, no. Normative things, no. At the back, yeah. Yeah, so the ruling on the car is not the same as the ground. Okay, the ruling on the car is not... Huh? Which is the same. Why are we praying on a chair? Sure. So as a go-to, this is not permissible. As a go-to, it's not permissible to pray in a car. The only time that it's allowed to pray in a car is if there's some extreme unbelievable emergency. It's flooding outside, it's war outside, it's dangerous outside, or whatever. person needs to go outside and pray. Not just go outside and pray, but prostrate on the floor. Let's now make it easier and say it's a nafal prayer. If it's a nafal prayer, then you can, as you said, because the car is a chair. It doesn't matter that it's moving or not. The car is a chair, isn't it? So if it's a nafal prayer, that's allowed, because we're allowed to pray sitting. We also have hadith that allow us to pray in a state of moving when the Prophet ﷺ prayed on a camel. So a nafal is allowed, but an obligatory prayer can't be prayed in a car. The only time it can be prayed in a car is if there's a real pressing emergency, not a reason, not a need, but an emergency. Because if there's a need, then you go outside and you sit on the floor and pray. But to pray in a car, in a closed area like that, that requires yani, some real situation, some real whatever that is. The truth is, we have made the car almost like a norm because, uh, and not mostly the men, because the men don't really have a problem, you know, they generally just go outside. But the women, because now in our modern society, last 10 years, right, we are far more women outside, right? There's a question which is coming here, and that is right here, in fact. Uh, it says, does, does anywhere, does praying anywhere apply to women? Okay? Yes, it does. But that question is right. That shouldn't be the fact. That the reason that question is being asked is for the correct reason. We don't want our women to be praying everywhere and anywhere. Because the, the societal norm was not that women are outside and caught outside and praying anywhere and everywhere. And their entire body and their aura is built around that. And the ruling of the niqab not being yani, allowed to cover your face is, when praying is built around that. If you just think logically, if the niqab is not allowed to be, if your face is not allowed to be covered whilst praying, then it, and you need to cover your face in public because you follow that opinion, then it by definition means you're not going to be praying in public. So there's a general, that doesn't mean of course it's not going to happen, and it doesn't mean that it's not permissible, of course, it, you know, it, it will happen and it can happen and we need to have places for women to be able to do that. But I'm saying that we have now created a situation where we have so many, many women out there at the times that they wouldn't have normally been, who are in compromising situations, that they are having to pray outside. And what do they revert to? They create their own fiqh and say, we're praying in a car. Because it's, it's a, I remember the value of a car. I used to love my car. Lala, who's recording this, Shazada, he lives in his car. When it comes to lunch, he hates Yanni, his work colleagues so much that he gets into his car and eats his lunch there all the time. Every single day. Kassam. 
He would just sit in his car, put the seat warmers on, heat warmers on. La la, if this is not true, then admit it. Yeah, you're sitting at home, you're only thinking that I'm going to get cussed for this. Hey, everyone thinks I pick on Shazad. No, no, you have a figure. <laughs> but honestly, he just sits in his car, doesn't want to communicate with anyone. Just people are changing things to, you know, fit around them. But anyway. Um, huh? Yeah, I think that's possible. Minus 30 degrees, minus 20 degrees, outside, can't live, can't yani, open eyes, dying, yani, that's something else. It was madness yani, on that Sunday, it was. It was madness. Minus 31, it felt like. But we came. But we came. Well, Allah is true. Allah is right. Allah, yani, you, like, you lose a lazy bunch of packies, wouldn't come out yani, in the Bahama weather. These guys, 400 plus folks came out on the worst weekend in history that we've seen. What is going on there, bro? Is it not history, yeah? Wait, has it got worse, yeah? Did you just say not, it wasn't a weekend history? Says the girl who didn't come at all. <laughs> yes, bro. Yes, bro. Yes. Oh, no. And it was, you know how hot it was now six years ago? Because I remember I was teaching Yanni in a thinner thobe, chapels. It wasn't cold at all when I came, when I did protect this house first time around. Yeah. G. Can you comment on the hand positioning, holding the fingertips? That's coming next week, inshallah. Yes. Sanjay. Yes. No, the, the, the prayer in its natural form is the priority. So for example, as you just said, let's compare between two scenarios. A person who can stand and keep standing, praying on a chair for the seated parts and then standing up each time. That's what you want to say, yeah? Meaning your whole point is because Qiyam is better than everything, you want a person who's staying, standing, standing, standing and sitting on a chair. That's the example you're putting forward though, isn't it? A person who's standing, sits on a chair, then stands back up again, sits on a chair. Okay, right. So that's the first one. Versus a person who stands, goes into the sajda, and then can't get back up again. This is always going to be the sunnah and the more correct way. That's the point. Because all the fact that they were unable to get back up again, whatever, is completely covered by the fact that they're allowed to sit down in the sunnah way of being on the floor. Whereas this person is creating a pseudo-prayer. This is a completely correct, natural, normative prayer. This is as well, by the way, but as a, for a person who can't do this, because there are some people who can't sit on the floor. There are some people who can't lower themselves to the floor. An elderly person is not just the person who can't get back up. It's the lowering themselves down that they can't do. They collapse onto the floor. We can't have that, can we? And so these are the people who will stand and then go to the chair, sit down on the chair. And most of these people don't even have the ability to get back up off the chair. So they remain on the chair and they finish the entire rest of the prayer. So it's dependent upon that person's ability. If a person has the ability to get themselves back up afterwards from the floor, then that is the way to pray the obligatory prayer. If a person is unable to get themselves back up off the floor, then they should remain. And I, I, want, to, I want you to know though, so that you just don't you know, really think that this is a, a, a matter of aqidah or something. The choice of when a chair comes in, doesn't come in, is a matter of ijtihad. 
This is not, there's no hadith. There's no hadith from the Prophet ﷺ in which he demonstrated how to pray while sitting down. There is no hadith where he ever utilized a chair either. We have hadith that indicates his dislike with people trying to create an artificial surface to pray upon. This hadith gives us this kind of uh, angle. You know, Um Salama, radiallahu anha, what she used to do is that she used to, when she was unable to make the, the sajda, she would get the, 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 the pillow and she would bring it, clo- she, would, she would put it in front of her, like quite close, so she could prostrate onto it. Because she couldn't prostrate on the floor, so she said, so she said, so using her own kind of aql, she's like, well, if I can't prostrate on the floor, let me prostrate on a pseudo surface, this pillow. And the Prophet ﷺ prohibited that in the narration. So you're, you're, let's minimize third-party implements and realities and go straight to the, to the, to the, to the floor. Listen, we're getting too long. We need to cut this. Um, can we, we can't, as we can't recite Qur'an whilst in sujood, does this extend to using du'a from the Qur'an? Uh, correct. You are not allowed to recite anything from the Qur'an. I told you last time that if you want to use a Qur'anic du'a, you change the sigha, you change the form, yani from Rabbana to Allahumma, like this, so that it doesn't become an ayah anymore and it still maintains its du'a focus. What is the minimum length that would make something be considered recited from the Qur'an? Right? So they're saying, for example, if you turn Rabbana atina fid dunya into Allahumma atina fid dunya, you've pr- we pretty much said the whole ayah. But we say, no, you haven't, you haven't said the ayah. It's the ayah which is, needs to be there, not a part of it. Okay? Are eyes to be open or closed when making sajda? The eyes are to be open. There is no basis for making the eyes closed. If a person closed them for a certain uh, detail, for a certain reason, that's allowed. But in principle, they, it should be kept open. For men, what if your hat is covering all of your forehead? Is it okay or should we push the hat up so that we do not prostrate on it in sajda? If it is the norm and it was there before, then a person carries on. He doesn't have to remove it. But if a person put it on specifically, that's not something which is allowed. Farhan, Farzana, yeah. Good question, good question. If it's difficult for you to get up because it's painful because you have a condition, but you can get up because it's not killing you, what is the a guideline? What is enough pain to allow you to have this kind of relaxation of the rule? Okay? And there's nothing from the sunnah. And it's about urf. It's about what people understand yani, is enough. Um, in my opinion, in my opinion, the safest approach to, uh, to, to apply here is the level of pain that will put your recovery back. Because everyone hurts. Yeah, I, so myself, for example, I would do that if I knew that the extra pressure on my other knee was not going to delay my recovery. I believe that that's a good dhabit, yani a good uh, principle to go by, that as long as recovery is not delayed, then I will, I don't mind a little bit of pain, because there's no one ever that's going to be free of pain when they go to sajda and coming up from sajda. When you get older, it's a disaster. If we start talking about pain and keeping it so nondescript, without any standard, then everyone's just going to be there not making such that at all. So that's why there, there is definitely a uh, threshold for pain as well. 
A person doesn't need to say, right, I'm not getting any better, I'm never going to recover, and so I have to always put up with pain. That pain can't, yani, we're not saying that, you know, it's pain that you, literally makes you faint, but you're still going to have to make sajda. You're going to have to, you're going to have to make your decision of what is the pain that you can handle, and what is the pain that you can't handle. Anything that you can't handle is well already into the excuse part. Any pain that you physically can't handle, you're well into the, to the excuse. Abs focus should not, like avoiding pain for focus is not the best. The problem with that is that if we are, you, you see, this is the, the, the problem when, when we start to say disturbance because it affects my focus, pain because it accepts my focus, music because it affects my focus, Kids, because because everything affects our focus. And at what point do we say we've got to take control and get better focus? Because if we want absolute perfect conditions for our prayer, never going to happen. If you want, if you want, you turn off the TV. But what about yani, when you're outside in, uh, say example, you're in retail and you're in work. And there's yani, X level of music in one room, but then you go to a different one, you go to the change rooms, for example, and then you get pipe music, and you're thinking, oh, you know what, this is music here, I can't pray, it's haram. person's got to be able to develop the ability to be able to block it out. We can't, for example, say we don't want any kids in the masjid or in a, in a hall because they're disturbing me. We will deal with the kids and the, the, the rules and the things behind, you know, in a separate uh, time, but you as an individual have got to be able to develop something stronger against the kids. Pain, for example. If we were to now set a, a threshold for pain here and we put it like low, let's just say, yeah, let's say a person has a chronic condition and we'll say just 10% pain is enough to disturb me. Let's say that person, yeah, so that's a person with a chronic condition but they're young. What are the elderly going to do? Yani at the age 60, where every single day, every single one of them would have, say, 20% of comparative but normal arthritic pain. All of them are going to... So it's a dangerous thing when we link it to our focus. Dangerous because it can just get out of so much control, Yani, subhanAllah. Um, right. Mesa, it'd be nice if you find us the, se the session where we did talk about the chair because I, 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 uh, I did, I know that we did it. What happens if one has a bilateral total knee replacement? It becomes impossible to sit down and then stand back up. That's a person who would be excused. Classic person who would be uh, excused. You either sit on the ground because you've got family that would always lift you up, or you're never going to sit on the ground again. You're going to pray for the rest of your life on a chair. You can pray on a seat in the plane because of the train and the plane. If there's lots of other people around you, you find it very, very difficult because of the pressure of everyone seeing. There's no space for you to stand. Unless you're in the way of everyone else, which is a fire hazard and something which is the, not, it's against the sunnah, then it's allowed for you to pray sitting down. That's a fatwa position. That's not a normal fiqh position. That's something which even is allowed for the fard prayer. Um, a woman prays in public, keeping niqab on, will come under need or still makruh. Now that's something which is permissible. If there are other people around and she doesn't want them to see, then it's something which is, yani, okay. What if you erroneously say Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim instead of Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la in the sujood? Has one missed the fundamental of the sujood or does the fact that they said Subhan at least as a form of dhikr then suffice? Well, if we were answering this question like we did last week, let's right, we said that Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la maybe for example said in Ruku' instead of Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, we did say that none of the scholars allowed for Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim to be missed 
We only said you build upon Subhan Rabbil Azim with Subhun Quddus and Rabbul Malak Ruh and other Adhkar. But Subhan Rabbil Azim has got to be there. So by that same extension, we should assume that Subhan Rabbil Azim said in the Sajda with Subhan Rabbil A'la not said has not fulfilled the Sajda. And we're coming to that next week, inshallah. By the way, portal updates for every single person. All of the audio, all of the podcasts, all of transcribed notes, all of the material, everything is now on the portal right now. The design is still being worked on. This has taken a long time. I know everyone who's online, every single person has been uh, uh, working on that. But our tech, the any side, had some, a number of issues, a number of problems. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy upon them. But it's taken a long time. And I, I, I have apologized for that a number of times. And I apologize for it again now as well. Um, I think all of the lines, indeed, Allahu Akbar. Well said with that. Um, but alhamdulillah, it's done. Yes. If the sajjah is not accepted, then that prayer is, is deficient because you missed a rukan when you remember or someone tells you you need to go and pray the entire prayer again if it's too late or if you learn about it in the first, uh, you know, two rak'ah, then into the prayer, whatever, you immediately go into sajda and carry on the prayer from there. And then afterwards make sajda zahu. Yes. Right. At what time? Oh, because of times, you mean? Because they're too busy, you mean? Yeah, three jama'at, yeah. But that's being done because it's a need, because some people are not coming to the masjid, because it's lunch and other people's is because it is too many people. For the need, I think that's permissible. Oh. Uh, can they give the, all of them give, give the khutbah? Yeah, I personally, I don't, I don't like it. There are some scholars that allow it. I think that is not good. I don't think that is good. I think it's permissible. I think it's legally permissible for an imam to give this, the khutbah three times, but I don't think that he should pray the prayer three times. And even if he did, it would be nafil, but I don't like it. It's not a sunnah. It's, a, it's, a, it's not good. It's not good. And whenever they ask me, I, I'm against it, and I don't do it, and I don't encourage it, and so on. Yes, I think it is permissible to pray on a memory foam bed, if it is a memory foam. But if you're talking upon a bed itself, then this is not considered the floor. I don't like the idea that you pray on your bed bed. But if you take your mattress from the bed and put it on the floor for some reason, I think that there's space for that. I think there's space for that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Are we done, folks? جزاكم الله خير بارك الله فيك سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت واستغفرك اللهم واتوب اليك والسلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته سوزادا اي ثينك اي ليف ذات تو يو